0: Good morning people of the internet, you're listening to Debbie Radio 79.5 FM, a podcast where we discuss the movie Gross Point Blank, one minute at a time. I am Dev. And I'm
1: the co-host Hugh, and on today's show we are looking at minute 41, which is memorable for the phrase, 10 years, man! 10 years!
0: (laughs) And joining us on today's show, we have John Straw of the... Now retired, super candid podcast, and hopefully an exciting new movies by minute podcast mm. that I'm going to guilt him into having to make. Now, <laughs> welcome, yes. John.
2: Yes, yes. Send send all the guilt. I need the motivation. <laughs>
0: um. So yeah, as Hugh says, we've got um. Jeremy Piven yelling ten years at us uh, as John Kusack and Jeremy Piven are still cruising in in their well in in uh paul's car mm-hmm. and yes. uh leading back to the high street so mm-hmm. that paul can can drop martin off yeah
2: yes it, it I, is this this was when i was thinking about it might be the first time that i could recall seeing john cusack and jeremy piven sharing a, a film together mm-hmm. i i was yep. thinking and Same i couldn't me. think of an earlier example there might have been a cameo or something but
1: have they been in a film uh, prior to this together
0: I'm pretty sure they have. We, um, Funnily
1: enough, we looked into this a while back, and I think they'd done some stuff together, but it'd been a while. Oh, okay. And they definitely worked yeah. together after this. But yeah, yes. for most yes. of us, you're right. I think for most people who are moviegoers, movie watchers, I think this was it. This is the moment. And this conversation, yes. you know, prior to this minute, um, Piven's character, Paul, has lit up a joint and they're mm. having this discussion and I, one of the interesting things about this scene is that we've now switched because earlier the camera was on Paul's side of the car and it was very much seeing things from his way and now we're on the other side we're on, on, on Martin's yeah. side and we definitely feel what's the emotion coming <laughs> at Martin um, yeah. and also there's also the fact that this is where Martin is forced once again to have faced the question. Everyone wants to know where have you been, what have you been doing, and it's absolutely fascinating because the the, the chemistry between them you really feel like Piven knows Cusack. You know, you you, you feel an off camera chemistry if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they were together in say anything, and That's also it. the Grifters, and specifically I think the Grifters is where both of them have yeah. a fair amount of screen time. Um, so. Yeah it has been a while uh, but I I personally feel that um this was this character was written with Jeremy Piven in mind mm-hmm. when when yes. when Kusak yes. and and his mates um Steve Steve Pink and DV uh, De D. were rewriting uh the script I think that there were a few cast that had particular characters in mind or few characters that had particular cast in mind this was one yeah it's
2: fascinating i don't recall where probably in a cinema magazine or something where mm-hmm. i learned that jeremy piven and john cusack were good friends i feel mm-hmm. like i've always known that they're best friends in real life and i read
1: that into any scene i see with them mm-hmm. so how, yeah. speaking of cinema magazines how did you come to the film first when did you first see yes. this so i to
2: the best of my recollection, I saw this film in theaters uh it oh, was cool. uh, one That's of my mean. first John Cusack films that I saw in a theater. oh wow uh, I was a little too young for his John Hughes era mm-hmm. uh that, those were uh films I was aware of uh but I think i I might have seen pretty in pink on home video uh but i don't I, I don't really recall uh seen any of his earlier films i know several of my friends were huge fans of better off dead and spoke of it constantly but uh to my great shame to this day <laughs> i've never seen better off dead uh it, at all i i may be seen a few clips of it uh mm-hmm. but that's a, a big gap in my uh cinema knowledge there mm-hmm. so i saw this in the theaters uh kind of my introduction to john cusack as a as a leading man a, a, you know, big fan became a big fan. Uh and I followed up, of course, I think the very next summer with seeing his uh, Magnum opus, uh, Con Air. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is not the film I was expecting to come up to that for No, but
1: it's deserved. Um <laughs> it's it it's it? yes I don't know. Con Con, Air, Con- Air is, is 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 there's so much love about Con Air, including the fact that it was written as a parody. And the di- the writer sold it as a par- as a parody, and then had the great irony of watching it being turned into the very thing it was bi- it was parodying without yeah, changing played the completely script. straight. Yeah, yeah, because he wrote it after things to do in Denver when you're dead, and and he had, he was right. He was like, what I, You know, he'd written some other scripts, and nothing was getting made. And he was like, what am I going to do? And he's like, I'll just write one of these. You know, no one's going to even if I just sell it, it doesn't get made. And then the next thing you know, <laughs> <laughs> and
2: speaking of. That di- that distinction between the way the written word on the page and how mm-hmm. the actors bring to it. Th- this scene, I when I watched it, I was wondering: is this simply picking the alternate takes and playing them one after the other? Because the dialogue is pretty much word for word from the previous minute to this minute, mm-hmm. and you can see that there's there's a different energy, like as you mentioned, a different camera angle. Mm-hmm. And I thought: is this is this the most obvious? bit in the film of piecing together those multiple performances into Mm. a single scene Uh, and the fact that Piven is high makes it work because he's repeating himself
0: (laughs) I you know I never actually thought of that and as soon as you said it I'm like yes that is absolutely what has happened but I also think it really plays into that disbelief like this is the Mm -hmm. first guy who's really starting to seriously consider the fact that this is actually what Martin does for a living. Yeah, And, and, and this is like, you know, he goes through that. Like it's been 10 years. It's been 10 years and, and Martin just like trying to reinforce like, yeah, no, really that's what I went off and did. Right.
2: Because Debbie just lets it go of, you know, with a bit of an eye roll of Mm -hmm. of like, okay, if you don't want to tell me, don't tell me. Uh, Yeah. But, yeah, he's very much Pivin is very much of a like, okay, but seriously, ten years mm.
1: <laughs> Well, the other thing with 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 um, with Debbie, as we'll see later on, is that she's used she you know, the the Martin she knows is a wiseacre who makes stories up yes. just to you know just because you know and but she was she's in on those this is this, so she yes. that's why she lets this go. Whereas as you say with you know with Paul, it's obviously a different dynamic. They, they're, they're 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 bros, right? They they you know they've hung out together. They've been you know the fact that he lights his. The lights. The fact that in the previous minute he he actually lights the joint for him, you know, like it's so intimate as a gesture. You mm-hmm, know, like mm-hmm. like you're driving, here, you know, just here you go, and they don't, they don't discuss it. He doesn't ask it. It Just yeah, you know, just hands it over, and it happens. Um, so yeah, there's there's a certain there's a male intimacy here that is unusual to some degree, but also. Um, as you say, very different from the from the attitude Debbie and everyone else for that matter keeps asking him, Where have you been? You know, it's a very, very different take. But I also find it interesting how Martin explains it. Like, Martin, the dialogue allows Cusack to make it sound like a perfectly reasonable thing using cor- like 80s corporate speak. You know, like I was part of this yes. big public sector institution and then, you know, I had to go private, you know? <laughs> Yes, you know. Yes. Sec-
2: it reminded me. It reminded me of American Psycho, yes. where he tells people that he's he's into murders and executions. And, ah, yes.
1: mergers and acquisitions, of course. Yeah, it's exactly that. And in fact, you know what? I think you might be the first guest we've had who's brought up American Psycho, Dev. Am I right? I think so. Yeah, I think because so. Because I've been yeah. thinking it. I haven't mentioned it. I keep forgetting it. It does feel like there's a nod to Ellis here. There's a certain Ellis i mean i know this is two years before fight club and everything and all the rest of it but for, for polaniak and that mood of those sorts of films but ellis did all that stuff in the 80s really well yes when cusack was around and doing films and it's like one of those things where there's a certain yeah there's some of that here like the way he dresses yeah. and that mm-hmm. conversation he has with the renter cop I thought i just realized that was very american psycho just yeah, yeah. So
2: even even grocers move to unionize and mm. bring a, a business like aspect to this,
1: mm. Mm. yeah, 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 absolutely. It's, 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 it's yeah, it, 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 it is fascinating to watch how this script has, um, you know, the, the layers of social commentary that you don't you like. like I, I, this isn't completely true. There was a time period where American cinema had a fair bit of social commentary anyway, but I am going to generalise, and I know film fans will take exception with me, but I do feel that in the 90s in particular, we started to move away from explicit social commentary, particularly with the new wave of younger filmmakers and indie indie filmmakers wanting to just, like, hey, is it cool? Okay, we do it. And actually, you know, and it's the, it's the critics who start picking out what is and isn't, commentary you know we go back to a kind mm-hmm. of era of we're going to entertain you and then someone else will figure it out as opposed to going in as a director going we are going to do this you know it's, there's no more norman jewison right much as i love him that there, 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 there's nobody quite like that in the 90s and and this is possibly as close as we get you know and i don't and again i don't think it's Armitage's. i think this is coming entirely from cusack his buddies mm-hmm. the script
0: and i think yeah i think um uh, what's the act uh, the writer's name Tom Jankovic yes I think I think that a lot of this is coming from that yes uh, very directly the original think, draft, yeah yeah I think you know some of the tone is is implied by the rewrites but mm-hmm. I think a lot of this is from that very first first take on it
2: yes and I think in the in the following minute when we get back to Joan Cusack's character even more of that, business satire uh, becomes prevalent hmm.
0: uh, yeah
2: i, mean, I, I think the, thinking of the john cusack and jeremy piven just you know cracking each other up as old friends it's how i felt about you know at the end of their conversation when they both just start laughing i felt like is this is this a of just a hair's breadth away from the blooper reel uh where yeah. they they crack other up and they they break character because they, they're la- they, both of them laughing it's so genuine you can tell that they they've both you know really been entertaining each other uh as they go back and forth
1: in this uh discussion <laughs> yeah yeah very yeah. much so yeah. very much so and and the thing is so one thing we've we've listeners will have heard us talk about and Previous episodes is the uh, editing process of the film, and you know, funnily mm. enough, everything you said, John actually goes to the heart of that you know we <coughs> interviews with with online that Armitage did many years ago make make it yes. quite clear that he cut down a much much longer cut because he gave everybody the freedom you know he shot two three minimum of three different versions of every scene mm. Mm. to allow for some flexibility and I think you are absolutely right that this conversation in the car shows us as dev said possibly one of the most obvious part you know examples of cutting it all together but as as you say it works not least because of that last moment which is so natural so natural so unforced that you as you say it it, it's it's the guys it's the two guys who know each other having a giggle and whether or not it was meant to be there or not it works it works so well Yes, yes and and the fact that the dialogue um you know where that dialogue's heading at the uh, at the end of the minute. You know when he drops Kizak off is very much kind of some of it's overdubbed and from a long shot, and you sort of think, yeah, mm. I wonder if they just given up trying to fi- get the actual <laughs> dialogue done that day. And it's like, yeah, we'll fix it in post. <laughs> yeah, just, just as of-
2: as part of part of what I like about the just the I don't know if you are called the vibes of this film is. Mm. Martin definitely feels like he's just hanging out. He's he's not going anywhere in particular. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he didn't have a. You know, he has no. He he does actually have a job, but mm-hmm. he's completely ignoring that and just hanging out, going around to visit all his old haunts. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's just that afternoon of. Uh, you know, he has nowhere that he needs to be. He's just gonna wander around with Jeremy Piven for a while, and then after this, we'll see he he kind of aimlessly uh goes back to the ultimart uh later
0: in the week. Mm. Yeah, it's it's the behavior of somebody who's kind of burnt out on their job, right? Like yes. You, you know you know you've got something you should be doing and you're just procrastinating on it like in a way that you never would normally, right? Like normally yes. we've seen him he's very on top of his work. He puts a lot of planning and prep into the hits that he takes out and this one he's not even looked at it yet he's just <laughs> yeah. trying not to think about it and yeah. completely like disrupted by debbie and like you know even at the end of this minute when he pulls out the rangefinder and he's you know mm-hmm. just scoping in on her at the end mm. um it's yeah he's he's definitely like i think facing something here that he's you know yes. gonna see it-
2: so so it kind of it makes me think about his conversation where he's when he when he starts off explaining himself he says I freaked out and joined the army and I I don't think when I watched the film I was trying to pay attention for it does he ever say what was he freaked out about like like what what freaked him out like was it Debbie What did Debbie did was he afraid of was he afraid of the corporate america path that he had in front of him he, like he's a tyler durden type who you know saw a vision of his future wearing a suit and selling things and he, so that's what freaked him out
0: he was sat there in his goddamn rented tuxedo and he realized for the first time in his life that he wanted to kill somebody oh
1: my god you, is, you, you is i know you love this movie film. so much but the fact that you just reel that off
0: yes i uh, Dude, don't
1: I, tell I, me I, you're I, looking at the script are the you looking at the script
2: no. oh my god
1: dude <laughs> that
2: was perfect that that's a great paw yeah
1: that's the that's at the end when he's talking to the, um debbie and her dad in the bath uh
0: yeah yeah so it's that's that's as close as we get to an explanation as to what he was thinking when he he had that realization he wanted to kill someone i think probably you know there's you know all of us have to some extent that feeling when we reach the end of high school of like well we've got to start adulting mm, now yes and mm. not wanting to um mm. that's i think that's that's the moment of realization mm. um but
2: yeah and, and it ties in you know the progression of cusack's career to some extent he's played high schoolers for so long and then he makes the grifters and then he starts moving into kind of dark comedies like mm. this that you know, have some similarities with you know the more the darker films that he made but they're definitely it's he's playing against his type I, you know it's i think of the films he made a few years after this where he's a more traditional romantic comedy something like a uh, serendipity for example mm. and that that seems like what you would expect john cusack to do mm. uh, based upon going from a a teenage leading man to a, you know a young adult leading man uh, but th- those examples that, that you know are very few and far between in his career, uh, and as we see as his career continues on, his his choices in choosing films become more and more unusual. Uh, to be generous,
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I again, I, I uh, uh, this is something that comes up every now and then. I do one. I mean, I'm sure he, he's probably addressed this somewhere in an interview, but I do get the impression it's been very much a question of, you know in a contract and, you know, being, just saying, yep, okay, what am I doing this week? All right, let's just, you know, let's just get it done because it's paying the bills. And then every now and then you spot something in his career and it's like, oh, he's there. That's the one that he wants to do. That's the interesting thing. And it just it yes. flows back and forth. But I, th- I do wonder how much of this was because of these initial productions that were produced by him, that were his heart and soul, that were very much signature films, <clears throat> this, the Jack Ball, um, uh, gross Point of, um high fidelity, you know. Yes. I do wonder whether, for all their success, I do wonder if there was a changing of the guard in in Hollywood and a sense of maybe he wasn't able to get those sorts of films made anymore. I don't know. I think, <clears throat> I think, I hate to say this, but I feel like the fact that you is you his and and we've we've said in other episodes about him his 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 overt political stances on things there is literally his film career before 9/11 and his film career yes. afterwards and i think he just was yeah. like nobody wants to hear this anymore
0: yeah and and i don't i think you know his his outspoken political opinions make him hard to uh palate in hollywood because you're either going to be upsetting the people you work with or the people that fund you like there's no real good win there right no matter what you say and that that became increasingly the case i think over time mm.
2: yes i i was thinking i was looking at his his post gross point blank career and i was thinking like there was a time mm. when a john cusack movie was appointment cinema and yeah you know a high fidelity as you mentioned you know one of my favorite films of all time i remember just being completely blown away uh, when I saw that in the cinema and you, Oops. I watched the DVD countless times, uh, you know, and possibly, you know, maybe one of the best pairings of actor, role, director uh, ever. Uh, I can't, you know, I, I enjoyed the uh, high fidelity television series, but it's not the same uh, without John mm. Cusack's particular energy.
1: Hmm. Hmm. hmm
2: and then you uh, see he, yeah after
1: that took no, on <laughs> yeah so yes, everything off was
2: yeah yeah and that was you know yeah look at 2000 you know just before
1: 911 mm. and then boom and i and and again I, I i and i also wonder if you know i also wonder what casting directors made of him as well because there's nobody quite nobody really does what he does right mm. his particular set of skills you know to quote another mm. film um to do with <laughs> hitmen in action and i think um i think he it's not that he was aging out of it you know but there's a sort of thing of i don't think people quite knew what to cast him in mm. and like like there's all kinds of things i'd like to have seen him do and i I don't, I, I I just don't know what happened. I don't know if it's things he, he wouldn't have done or, you know, I'm just thinking of various films along the way and I'm just sort of thinking, oh, you know, we, we kind of, yeah, as you say, it was appointment cinema and it's not anymore. And that's a real, real shame because he's still
2: it's, a great actor. I I've I think of it as like, sometimes I've heard actors described as uh, too good looking yes. uh, and that being a, a detriment. And I, I wonder if John Cusack, you know, he, he has the, the leading man looks, but the character actor's, you know, instincts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think of, you know, he, could he have been, could you replace Paul Giamatti uh, in several films with John Cusack? And the only odd thing is, you know, John Cusack is so handsome that the the character would have to be completely reconsidered uh, mm. because part of Paul Giamatti's
1: acting is his unconventional appearance. Mm. Yeah. I, I am surprised he never, I'm not surprised. Maybe, maybe he just didn't want to. I'm surprised that in the era of prestige television, we didn't see him garnering oh. a particular. You know what I mean? So, so he had he had the terrible luck with his. Uh, I believe it was Utopia. Yeah, yeah. was his Amazon Prime yeah. series. yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. the remake of the UK show. Yeah, uh, it's just the the
2: bad luck of a a show about a pandemic being released mm. in
1: early 2020. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I mean, but it, but but like even. You know, given his kind of, I don't know. I just, I, I sometimes I think Christian Bale took a couple of things that maybe Cusack mm. would have taken. You know, some of the stuff that Bale does with, uh, what is his name, Scott? I can't remember the name of the director, the guy he did Out of the Furnace with, and then did that Western, um, Hostiles. I feel like mm. Cusack would have actually fit quite nicely into that role. But the thing mm. about Bale is, Bale's always willing to go the extra mile physically and hide the fact that he's a reasonably yes. good looking guy. You know, he'll put under a beard and he'll go get lose some weight and he'll say to the makeup guys, he's gonna have a scar here or whatever. Whereas excuse Cusack. Cusack just is him and he acts the role. Um, but I also feel like it would be interesting to see him, like, like you know, you could, it would be interesting to see him have his born identity, if you know what I mean. Mm. It,
2: it, is that what we're watching right now?
0: i I kind of feel like it is well that's what i mean i I feel like yeah yeah he started this move towards a more action style and then with high fidelity it kind of pulled back on that Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. max afterwards is still like you know nowhere near the action thing and i think this was his opportunity to go that route and it, it didn't manifest into anything yes
2: maybe just 10 years a little 10 years (laughs) too early uh for hollywood uh you know going the opposite direction you know know, i think of this film i think of it you know there's some parallels with something like john wick uh, in terms of some of the fights later Mm -hmm. Uh, but As you said, like it's that tonal. It's both the tonal mix and it's you know the market at the time. This certainly was not a blockbuster hit. You know this wasn't burning down any records uh, in the cinema.
1: No, but it was a big big home video VHS one, and I think that's the key. I think that's the other thing is recognizing that the market had changed. What kind of what films were for? I mean, so much of what he worked on afterwards was straight to DVD, and. Yeah, barring stuff like Conair, but I mean, once we hit that point of his career that we're discussing, so I do think it's also about recognizing where the market is and what things are, you know. And he, in he, despite Conair, he's never been the guy to to pursue, you know, the big the big budget stuff, right? He he's a guy who got yes. uh, had a career the old fashioned way where they made films and they became hits, and so he became big. Uh, as opposed to here we are, we know we're putting together a big film. You you want to be part of it? I, I guess you no. know per, post Con Air, perhaps his his
2: biggest budget film is 2012, yeah. uh, which
1: and uh, that's as cool. part of an ensemble he's yeah. in, and he's good in that, and that's because that's the sort of role I'm glad I like seeing him in again. But yeah. again, it's still not,
0: yeah. I mean, I mean, well, Con Air um, High Fidelity is after Con Air, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Because Conair actually came out the same year as Grosse Point Blanche. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, but but also Runaway Jury I think was a pretty big one. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. So that's the inevitable, the star-studded thing. cast there uh, mm, yeah. probably filled out the budget.
0: Mm. Yeah, um, America's Sweethearts as well was,
2: but yeah. my recollection I haven't seen America's Sweethearts I think since the cinema. He has a he's a relatively smaller role yeah. in that yeah. as a you know he's the the background to the story. Uh, not yeah. the actual story itself. Yeah,
0: that's fair. That's
1: I, I must admit, if I could get, like, if I could get someone to write, Well, I know exactly who to ask. If I, if we could get a movie made for him now, <laughs> written, like the thing I would like to see him do is, um, have you guys seen any of the films by John Carney? He's an Irish director who specialises in making films that are basically. Musicals without actually being musicals because they're set in worlds of with musicians, and so the music is part of the film. So, he oh, did he do once? Yes, yeah, yes. he did yes. once, and then he did Begin Again with that with um with uh Kira Knightley and Mark Ruffalo, and then yes. he did uh, uh Sing Street, which is freaking amazing, which is the 80s set coming of age, you know, it's it's doing the John Hughes thing but in in Ireland you know and it does do really yes. well um he's connie has got an incredibly light touch he's really really good and he but he grounds things you know once the key to wants is that the, the the two people who are singing are both musicians before they're actors uh but the thing is that the uh the eastern european character she eastern european actress she is an immigrant and so when she's playing this woman who wants to be a singer but is actually busy cleaning hotel rooms that's literally like she, she knows the experience. It, it's real. It's it's grounded in that sense. So the romance happens, all. and even and the same thing with the nightly ruffler one. It's it's the nightly ruffler thing is almost like hanging out in New York, in a kind of vibrant club slash music agent scene kind of thing, and it feels for the cliches it feels real and i feel that's where i'd like to see Kuzak, you know in that kind of film again because we were saying in, you know one of the things about this era is the hang movie right like I saw, yeah. I saw an article recently saying oh the 70s was all about the hang movie you know and i was like actually no i don't think it ever went away i think gen mm-hmm. x gets its own set of hang movies Yes. Where we just hang with the characters, right? Like that's literally what reality bites is, right? You just Yes. You know, that's what Clerks is, which is Clerks, which is now, you know, thirty years old this month and it's like actually yes. I yeah.
2: I'd say even maybe even more so than Clerks. I, I think they gross point blank and a film like Chasing Amy oh, seem yeah. to have a lot of that that similar vibe of it's just people going about their day, uh and and have and the conversations they have and then gross point blank mixes that in with some violence and gunplay period yeah 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 and
1: but but it's, but it's also very very carefully thought through and, and well put created uh violence and gunplay yes. i mean that's the other thing is that it's the quality of it is is actually really really good you mentioned John Wick earlier you know this is the this is two years ahead of the matrix this is one of those films where you know the decision to cast Benny the jet, Urquides, and you know, get Cusack to train and do the whole thing for that one fight. Like, like, yes. even, even the comedic yeah. nature of how he holds two guns in the ultimate. But he knows what he's doing, in the reloads, you know, everything is like on point. And you're kind of like, oh, okay, mm. somebody took this bit seriously, um, and and he's ahead of the curve on that. He's doing that before Reeves is doing it, for anyone else is doing. He, he he's right in there, and you sort of think. Okay, this is this is different. This is somebody who wanted to to balance. He wants a balance here. He's trying to create that that balance in the, between the comedy and the the things that we should take seriously. And sometimes the action is comedic, and the relationships are the serious part. And then it flips around yes. and flips over. Um, and that tonal shifting is just so well handled. It's just so remarkable. So. This was minute forty-one of the Gross Point Blank podcast, W Radio seventy-nine point five FM, featuring your co-hosts, co-writers, and co-producers Dev Sullivan and Hugh David.
0: Today's guest was John Straw of uh, the now-retired Supercandid podcast, but you can still find most of those episodes if you look for them online. Uh, where else can we find you, John?
2: Uh, you can find me uh, quite active in the Star Wars Minute Discord server uh, and. Uh, the iFanboy podcast, uh, that's, that's what you know really got me into being a fan of podcasts, and I think there's a great community over there of uh, fans and podcasters.
0: Both great places to check out, for sure. Uh, you can find us on All Good Podcast Players, as well as on YouTube, Twitter, aka X, and Spotify, at Debbie Radio, uh, and on our website, debbieradio.com. And for all of those, it is Debbie spelt like in the movie, which is D-E-B-I. And finally,
1: if you want to chat with us, come find us in the Facebook listeners group, which is once more Debbie Radio, 79.5 FM Fan Club. That's once more D-E-B-I Radio. Sure was clear that all of this was new.
0: Concentrating hard like a little girl smoking for the first time. It
2: wasn't a moment. It was a feeling of